Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. However, for not the first time this season, I regret to inform you that this week the Plus Dave podcast is just brought to you by a couple of Spurs fans as Dave is taking a day off sitting on the bench for reasons <laughs> unknown, but I'm sure he's got a very good excuse. I think it's something to do with his wife's birthday, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, we'll let him off on this occasion and hope to welcome him back next week. But if you just tuned in to listen to Dave, then this is where you turn off. And as such, we probably won't be doing a challenge earlier today, given that it is just me and and Elio this week. So if you're listening just for that, Charles, then this is the point where you can turn off and anyone who's left over, welcome. Welcome back to another episode and I hope you enjoy what we have to come. As I've just mentioned, joining me this week, as ever, is Elio, who has just watched the Spurs-Bryson game with me, actually, at the weekend. We went to a pub in London to watch it and we're going to be talking about that in a little while, as well as the game previous to that against Frankfurt in the Champions League, the upcoming home game against Frankfurt, and of course, our next Premier League game which is against Everton. Elio, welcome back to another show. How are you doing? I'm not bad. I'm obviously much happier than after our last recording. So um well, yeah, feeling feeling positive again. So something yeah, would have had to have gone bit. horribly wrong for you to be in a worse state of mind after that performance, let's be honest. After that result. Yeah, I think so that's a fair uh, the bar was set really, pretty low. It? Absolutely, yeah. So we're we're not doing too badly. Just to start things off a couple of sad points actually to mention and obviously it's something we couldn't let go. We had to mention the passing mm. of Jan Petro Ventroni, the fitness coach, who by all accounts appears to have been incredibly popular at Spurs, and I'm sure by now a lot of you have seen all the tributes pouring in from players and of course the the emotional scenes at Bryson and everything that's followed. Elio, do you have a word to say about Ventroni? Do you know much about his involvement with the new look Tottenham under Conte? Um, he came with much acclaim when we brought him in as someone who'd worked with Conte as I think pretty much every club Conte had been at and had yeah. actually been a fitness coach to Conte when Conte was at Juventus. So someone that Conte mm. obviously had a lot of trust in and yeah. brought with him as a fitness coach coach which obviously it means he was probably quite good at his job and you could see the impact on our fitness levels last season in terms of the way we actually attacked matches in the second half of the season compared to yeah. the first but it also means that distance covered well absolutely but it also mm. probably means that they had a very good relationship to last together that long so uh, I, I imagine our manager is very very cut up as um, yeah. all the players seem to be as well and by all accounts it seems that he's a very very popular guy and at the club as well. I mean, you saw mm. the tributes coming in from various players, from Dyer, from Kane, from Son, and yeah. it, it you could see the emotion on all their faces, both before mm. and after the Brighton match. During as well, Harry Kane seemed to point to the heavens after he scored his goal. Yeah, so, I noticed that, uh, yeah. I really do think that this was something that shook them a little bit. So mm. I guess all credit to them for doing well at the weekend under what must have been difficult circumstances. Absolutely. And uh, content for the match, actually, when those tributes were coming in, you could tell he looked visibly emotional, which is not something you expect. I mean, obviously, you, you expect him to be emotional in the sense that he goes mad celebrating goals and touchline. He's very demonstrative mm. and animated, but you don't expect him to show... I, I want to use a better word than weakness, but vulnerability uh, because of who he is and the type of tough character he is. So to see him, of all people, looking that sad, it, it did hit pretty hard, I thought. Absolutely. I mean, if Conte is known, I mean, I guess all you've got to think to yourself is, even if it's someone who you've worked together with constantly, if you've worked together with someone yeah. constantly for 30 plus years. Oh, it's like a family then, member. 
Exactly. To him, I imagine he is. He would have been a, a, essentially a family member. You said he worked with him at Juventus as well. So, yeah, really yeah. go back a long way. So, obviously, our thoughts with uh, everyone affected, all the friends and family of Gianpietro Ventrone. And worth mentioning as well, sadly, the, the Tottenham Hotspur wider family lost two members this weekend. The second passing was of John Duncan. Probably not quite as much mentioned on social media, perhaps because he was slightly older, but it was a, a man from the 1970s team, from what I understand. I must admit, I don't know a huge amount of about his playing career beyond a quick look up just now but it's certainly a name I'd heard of and I imagine it's probably a name that may have come up once or twice in all the various tales of spurs of years gone by from your dad over the years Elio. absolutely I mean not one that came up the most because uh we yeah. weren't it wasn't our best era in the mid 70s it yeah. was a, in fact he was part of the team that got relegated and then came up but he yep. was also our top scorer as we came up and he was mm-hmm. also our top scorer a couple of times in the top flight as well so john duncan is someone who did play for us for a considerable amount of time and did score a lot of goals for us including in that division blow to help get us back into the top flight and someone who um, actually had a great record for us as well. He had better than a one in two record. I think he got sort of over 50 goals in just over 100 games in the league and something like 62 and 120 or something like that in overall. So Mm. given that he's not one of our more celebrated strikers, it's still an impressive record and definitely Mm. someone to be sad about losing at this time. Absolutely. And not to take away from the somber tone of this segment, but so when you say something like 62 goals in 120, it is my duty to inform you that's exactly his record. It was exactly 62 in 120 games in all competition so uh in truth in fairness, Elio, i think i read that today so i don't think that's <laughs> something yeah. that came out of my head i think i just remembered reading no, it earlier when i was reading about it, it. it wouldn't have surprised me but uh either way needless to say um obviously a sad sad day for for spurs fans and uh, particularly spurs fans from that era um moving on to modern times and our, our games gone by of course we've had a couple of games since the last episode so we're going to talk about a couple of those today and as we always do let's go through in chronological order so let's talk about the frankfurt game first and then i suppose we could take that up opportunity to talk about the upcoming second game against them given that that is our next game in the Champions League and in fact our next Mm. game full stop so it was a nil-nil probably a slightly more eventful game than the one that followed it that had a goal in it there was a lot of activity in the goal mouth Spurs it's safe to say probably should have scored at least one and the XG would absolutely support that giving us 2.26 to their Mm. 0.86 how did you assess that game um it's a game I think we should have won based on plays you just mentioned. Not that I think we were particularly great. I think we were still a bit sloppy and a bit erratic, but I think we did at least improve in our play a little bit. And individual performances on the whole seemed a bit better as yeah. well. Mm. That says I think Frankfurt played a little bit of nice stuff as well and could have actually had a goal themselves. So I think yeah. I think it's a game we probably could have got the win in, but mm. after losing the Arsenal game, it was important not to lose another in a row away yeah. in the Champions League not to it concede was important to, exactly don't concede don't yeah. lose a second consecutive Champions League game again we're at the halfway mm. point in our group now and we've played two away games and a home game and got four points yeah we win our and the two other game went well now. for us as well didn't it so we're exactly okay. it did Two yeah. wins at home now out of our three remaining games, we've qualified. I mean, you'd mm. back us to get six or even seven points from the remaining fixtures. So I, I think we'll yeah. be all right now. I think it's a good position to be in. It could have been worse. Well, I think they probably had the best chance of the game from what I remember. There was a, forgive me, I can't remember the player, but they chipped a ball right over our entire defence and the guy just kind of broke through in space and had an acre around him to hit it first time on the volley. But luckily he hit it straight at 
Hugo. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we got away with that one. But yeah, we definitely had our fair share of chances. Like I say, not a huge amount to talk about in that game, but I think it's worth a quick mention to perhaps one of our most divisive players, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, who was arguably the best player on the pitch, I think, by many counts. I thought he had a really good game. What do you think? I think that's fair. And there seems to be a real kind of... It's like a tribal... There's a real tribal level-hate mentality to him, yeah. yeah. And you, you look down social media and you've got some people talking about him and without going into detail about the Brighton match, the other day talking about his passing yeah. to Son in the build-up to Kane the other day as if it was sort of Xavi-esque and other people sort of saying, oh, it's just a simple pass, well done, Hoiberg, sort of sarcastically. <laughs> and yeah. The truth is somewhere in the middle. He's a good player. He's industrious. He works hard. You know, I've got my reservations about him in the Conte system generally, but he definitely is having a better than worse season overall, in my opinion. And he's Mm. actually giving us some attacking output as well. He's backed up statistically. I know I'm not a huge lover of statistics, but then you get people shouting about the eye test and... As far as my eyes can see, he's actually looking fairly comfortable on the ball. He's picking out some decent passes. He's not wasting possession. Sometimes he plays it safe. Fine. He's one of a two-man midfield. But I think he deserves some credit this season. I definitely think he deserves credit the other day. And Mm. I think a lot of the people I see criticise him without wanting to overly disparage a chunk of our demographic. They do strike me as people who aren't quite old enough to remember as far back as someone like... Stefan Freud, who really was a nothing of a midfielder, yet somehow the, you know, it's cult hero or yeah, yeah. the knackered version of Tim Sherwood that we had, who was only good for kicking people or or David Howells, even worse. Like, mm. uh, those were bad midfielders. This guy is <laughs> a perfectly serviceable player who has a lot of good points and a few not so good points. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll be honest, even... I'd say maybe they don't even remember as far back as someone like Jermaine Genus, who, yeah, he chipped in with a few mm. very memorable goals overall, which Hoiberg has too as well, to his credit. And he has? Definitely a more creative player than Genus was. But mm-hmm. Genus, also likable guy and talented player, though he was, and probably more talented than Hoiberg, was a guy who hid from the ball at every opportunity. Hoiberg yeah, never hides. You can't hides, accuse Hoiberg of that. Yeah. You absolutely can't. So I think so much of the criticism of him is unwarranted. And I say this as someone who doesn't think he is part of our best team when everybody's in full flow. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there in the sense that it's people who aren't old enough to remember generations gone by and just specifically they're just not old enough to be engaging necessarily in intelligent football discussion because there is this <laughs> tendency on social media at the moment and I'm basing this largely on the amount of people on Twitter who have a footballer as their picture which uh, no <laughs> judgment just tells me you're probably 12 so if I'm wrong correct me um, but <laughs> I get the impression it's just that is football culture these days it's just you're not allowed to just say a footballer is quite good he has strengths and weaknesses it has to be terrible or the goat you know there's no in between and it's it's just one of these things that has just come about on social media and in football culture in the last few years in particular which is particularly annoying but i suspect it's here to stay so we're just going to have to get used to it and try and Mm. pick out the pockets of intelligent debate online so speaking of twitter i got a good stat from there actually you ready for this This is my first useless stat of the day and it's about pierre emil he won possession in that frankfurt game 12 times 
points in a Champions League record dating back to October 2018. Nobody's won possession more times in a game than Hoiberg okay. did against Frankfurt, which is not a bad stat at all. Not much else to talk about in that game. Brian Hill came on towards the end. I've put a note down on that. He was running around like a headless chicken. Didn't really do very much, but at least he's trying. Might be the last time we see him for a while, but what do you think of him at the moment? Do you see him working <laughs> into the plans in any way, shape or form? No, um, frankly, I I think he's clearly a talented guy. I think a lot of people say, oh, he's way too weak and it's obvious. He's a guy who had about 12 minutes or whatever it was, or was it 20 maybe, of football for the first time in God knows how long. I mean, don't judge him on that. If he was playing every single week, even if it was just cameos off the bench half an hour a week, then Mm. I'd give him a judgment either positively or negatively. I mean... We can't judge him. What we do know is that Conte sees him every day. We don't. And like Conte said about to her, so Carlos the other day, (laughs) he's not an idiot. So uh, he wants to win. A quote that was grossly misused by various media outlets may may be added. Yeah, saying Conte's response to why don't you play Doherty is, I'm not an idiot. I don't want to lose. Leaving out quite a lot of context in between them. But I think if you've seen the interview, you probably know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I find the whole him being too weak and small thing a little bit I roll my eyes out a bit because we used to say the same thing about Luka Modric or not we but people did when he first came in and you mm. know Barcelona built the greatest club side of a generation with a bunch of tiny of players excellent players but that's the point you know if you're technically good enough then who cares if you're a, with David uh, Silva a too midget. small in two weeks exactly yeah Foden for example yeah absolute, mm. absolute nonsense but anyway we'll see what, what's to come with him my favourite moment in that game actually was um, Hoiberg back to him again uh, the dispossessing <laughs> kind of yeah that was great but he's done those before this was him tackling an opponent via a Cruyff turn <laughs> he basically did like a Rabona tackle and then played in Kane which eventually led to a Kane chance at the end of a really good move so that was pretty good that was something I'd expect from uh, Benoit Suokoso in his heyday <laughs> um, we've got the Frankfurt game coming up again and I think we talked about this before other than taking our chances this time because we had a lot of them and we didn't is there much really to say about that that you think we need to change or anything that you'd like to see? I mean, we're going into it at home instead of away this time, off the back of a yep. win instead of a loss this time. And we're going into it, I think, having just tweaked our formation a little bit to the 3-5-2 instead of the 3-4-3. Mm. I have a suspicion he's going to continue with that at least while he gets some of the forwards fit again because otherwise we've got nothing on the bench basically. So yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what he picks on Wednesday night. Like I said, I'm predicting, I think he'll probably go with the same team as versus Brighton. Maybe he'll put Perisic in, but other than that, and maybe Longley, but other than that, I don't see mm-hmm. many changes. And I think we can expect a good performance. Moving on to Brighton then, what did you think of the lineup? Because that was the first thing I was going to ask you about was the 3-5-2. So obviously you expect that to continue. When you saw the lineup, is that what you were expecting? Were you happy to see it? And how do you think it worked? I think the 3-5-2 was probably inevitable because the lack of control of games was too evident to ignore at this point. I think yeah. Richarlison hasn't played quite as well in his last couple of appearances as he had in his early appearances. So it didn't mm-hmm. overly justify the start. I think... Someone like Basuma give him sort of the game against his old club as well. It always kind of helps raise the tempo a little bit if you give someone a bit more meaning in the start anyway. I think Brighton being one of the better sides at using the ball in the Premier League probably meant that Conte wanted to give them as little as the ball as we could because obviously we're not a team that's great at starving teams of possession at the moment. So I think Mm. that part was 
predictable. Um, Doherty yeah. in for Emerson was always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Sessignon in for Perisic surprised me a little bit. It was good to see Dave. You think that's back. just rotation? Um, I'm not sure. I think Perisic, like Richarlison, has probably dipped a little bit the last mm. couple of games as compared to his first few. And I also think, uh, yeah, elements of rotation too. But I think rotation and competition are probably quite synonymous with each other at the moment. Yeah, if I was any player in that team, except for maybe Dyer, Loris, or Kane, I'd be thinking, I really need to prove my place in this team and show the manager yeah. that I need to be in this team. Because there is a bit of a culture there. There's a sense, isn't there, of no one's undroppable. You know? And it's not even a case of being dropping. It's just that no one's guaranteed a place in the team every week. It's a bit like when exactly. you look at Man City, taking out De Bruyne and Haaland, of course. It's a bit like that, which is um, obviously breeds success and, and competition. So it was a slightly different game to the Frankfurt. Obviously, only the one goal, so it was, I guess, quite cagey. But there weren't as many clear-cut chances. The XG actually has Bryson edging us out at 0.9 to 0.77, which isn't a shock. But it's probably difficult to overstate how important a victory this is, given how good Bryson have been, particularly at home for the last year, isn't it? It's important that we won our next league game after the Arsenal defeat. It's important mm-hmm. that we kept pressure up at the top end of the table. It's important that off the back of the tragedy in the week, the players managed to channel that Harness into something that. positive. Mm-hmm. I think we're third in the league, Brighton are fourth in the league with a game in hand on us and three points behind us. So that says a lot yeah. about how good they are. They're also unbeaten at home this season until they played us. In fact, I think eight Premier League games in a row, yeah. they're unbeaten at home before they played us and there are sides that despite losing their clearly very good manager who started well at Chelsea sadly uh, mm. recently looked like they continue to play well look, look what they did at Anfield the other day I know Liverpool aren't quite firing all cylinders but they were impressive so yeah. I think it was really really important to go there and actually to show up and play well I think the teams ended up even though I know Brighton I think had close to 60% position and we had close to 40 um, yeah. I actually think stylistically the two sides both looked relatively similar and I think it almost was a bit of a stalemate but actually mm. a stalemate between two sides playing relatively decent football it's just that both sides were quite organized and didn't really concede any real chances I mean their chances were all very much half chances for Danny Welbeck and a half chance for Danny Welbeck is about a tenth of a chance yeah (laughs) Um, I wonder if that's reflected in the XG (laughs) (laughs) well quite and uh, Danny Welbeck's one-on-one that's that's a 0.01 the XG total Absolutely, and we had a good long shot with Benton Cook. Kane turns their defence and really should have got the shot between that the That was posts. the best chance, expect wasn't it? Him. When he spun yeah, around to the dunk. Yeah, we, we were both really surprised he didn't put that one away. Absolutely, and then we scored a goal from probably wasn't a great chance, but it was a great bit of play from Harry mm. Kane, and that's where the quality of the side comes in, where yeah. you're in an even game and the guy gets a chance that most strikers couldn't score, and he does. And Harry yeah. Kane's very much going under the radar because of a very Erling. exceptional uh, yeah, Viking. Uh, but yeah. the way Harry Kane sort of... And Viking. I'm always impressed with Harry Kane when he does that because you know what? He's he's a big guy. He's not exactly known for being sort of particularly nimble and mobile and agile. And yet mm. this is the third or fourth time he's very quickly got very low to a ground from a cr- yeah. cross not that far away to head a goal. Yeah, we, the we talked about it at the time, didn't we? The obvious one. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, the other I'm one really being the England, England against Germany in the Euros as well. That was a similar kind of header when Grealish played him in. Um, yeah, I've actually got in my notes the words, you pretty much took them out of my mouth, is Harry Kane going under the radar? Because he has got eight goals in nine games now, which by any standards, any other season would be headline worthy. And sure, you could say he's not been brilliant, but he's getting the job done and he's doing what we need him to do. So yeah, very good to see that. And he's actually overperforming on his XG, you'll be pleased to hear, which is a very Harry Kane thing to do he's, mm. he's had a total of 6.72 xg pretty worth noting that 0.7 of that is made up of a penalty that he missed as well mm. and he's got his eight goals so yeah pretty impressive not bad for a tap in penalty merchant it's not, is it? It's not bad for a one-season wonder. He's doing okay. Uh, and another one for the Son-Kane combination as well. Another good ball in from Son. So he's continuing to be useful in a Spurs shirt. But it's one of those games, isn't it, where you look at this kind of cagey, could have gone either way, tough game, bit of a battle. It's a bit of a cliche, and I'm not going to go as far as to say that we are title contenders. I will, we can get onto that. But those are the games that make champions, aren't they? They're the games that win you leagues. The ones that could go either way and you've got to fight and show a bit of steel and just find a way to win it's not the three or four nil wins where you just blow another team away it's games like that exactly I mean the home game against the Paul Leicester side the other day isn't what's yeah. going to have us near the top of the table it's winning away to an on form difficult to beat side who mm. can just as easily beat us on their day so no I'm, yeah. I'm really really pleased with it and I think it's a funny one I'm not looking at any individual performances from the other day and thinking wow that was a really top performance okay I think Sessignon had a decent game. He, there was one mistake which conceded us a chance late on. Doherty, yeah. I thought, a bit rusty, but actually looked pretty good, so at least in mm. the way he plays off the ball, um, especially also made one very good block. Um, he I got think, in behind uh, a couple of times as well, which you wouldn't exactly. see from Emerson. Exactly. And I think sort of three man midfield. None of the three midfields, in my opinion, were particularly good or bad. They were all sort of all right. But I think Mm. I'm more and more trying to look at our performances as how did the unit play, not how did any individual play. And the unit of the midfield did what they were meant to. I mean, McAllister and Gross, while both having really good seasons, were completely Mm. pushed away from the areas that they're usually effective in all day long by Bentoncourt and Hoiberg. And that was very much because Bentoncourt and Hoiberg had the security of Basuma to mop up in case they overcommitted and got it wrong. So the unit worked the way it was meant to. And that's a big reason why Brighton, who can score and can score plenty if they want to, just yep. did not and that's a weird thing to say about Brighton actually but selling me <laughs> on my paper the trick <laughs> last time didn't we yeah exactly Brighton are a different animal altogether uh, there's a tweet here that sums it up quite nicely from Axel THFC Brighton haven't lost a game of football at home since March and some people expect us to play with a high line and have 95% possession a beautiful tactical game from our side um, and on that point well, absolutely. You, can you tell us who the last team to beat Brighton at home was yes it was us it was us indeed <laughs> So, with the Harry Kane yeah. goal again as well, I think. I mean, that's it's the old Occam's razor, isn't it? As Dave would say, it's a safe <laughs> bet. But no, it's it's. I think it's easy to look at a game like that, especially if you'd shown the fixtures at the beginning of the season and said, "Oh, Bryson away." nine games in that should be an easy match but it's not really turned out to be the case and they are actually looking pretty good and they're, they're definitely mm. carrying on where they left off with the new manager as well I, I tell you what their new manager this is a weird point of note to bring up but their new manager in the interview after the that. game yeah. what he came out with was I must admit and then I'm thinking okay you're going to admit the better team they were the better side like usually yep. when you when you admit something <laughs> you're usually admitting something positive about someone else or negative about yourself but instead yep. he says 
I must admit, and I think it was something like, I must admit the wrong team won, or I must admit we deserve to win. Yeah, a little bit of a language I mean, barrier okay. there, I think, well, to be fair. You say that, and I hear completely fluent native English speakers <laughs> say that all the time. And I won't criticise his command of English, because it's a hell of a lot better than my Italian, but uh, it's ah. just something I hear people in football say along. They admit something that isn't actually an admissible mm, thing an admission, all the yeah. time. And it, it really frustrates me about people in football. I mean, I know they all <laughs> left school at 12, but still... <laughs> and it's also wrong because Spurs were clearly the best of the team. No, I'm joking. It was probably quite a fair game in in fairness. And it was one of those that was decided by a moment of um, brilliance might be a touch strong, but a moment of clinical finishing from a top striker. On Harry Kane, actually, it's probably worth mentioning that he started up a new initiative today, which is gathering a lot of interest in social media, even that it is. I believe, World Mental Health Day? or Today is World Mental Health Day. World Mental um, Health Day. And as such, Harry Kane has started the Harry Kane Foundation. Absolutely. And I think it's towards mental health in children, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those many things that just, I, I see this and I, I find myself asking, how can anyone not like Harry Kane? I mean, unless you're an and Arsenal yet. fan, when he scores against you every time you play them, fine. But, you know, ultimately, he's really one of the good guys in football, isn't he? I think so, but you'll always get people trying to detract from that with some horrible comments and that Oh yeah, sort what a trophy. The, yeah. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. Um, or mocking well, his speech. Well, that's the eight-year-olds again, I saw, aren't one, I saw one West Ham fan having a go at, have um, CBBC not seen Harry Kane's interviews in relation to the fact that Harry Kane was doing a reading of a children's book live on yeah. children's BBC. I and mean, it's like... Okay, the guy. Oh, what are they doing saying? Something. He's not intelligent enough or something to read the children. Is oh, that well, what they're trying to say? Have, 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 no, he's having a go at his speech impediments, I think. And then when everyone had a go at him, that that particular person then said, "Actually, I was talking about how articulate he was." Okay, fine. Oh, that still okay. doesn't make it right. I mean, like, what are children going to respond to? So, um, their hero, the England captain, going to be the Premier League top scorer, or yeah. some dude they've never heard of? I mean, mm. it, it completely misses the point of trying to raise awareness of something that actually matters quite a bit which mental health in children actually does matter quite a bit and I, I applaud yeah. Harry Kane for the things he does because well we've seen what other footballers in this country and in the world have indulged in in their spare mm. time over the years and like you said he's one of the good guys he's a good egg absolutely well done Harry Kane great initiative and good to see you continuing to do good things and flying the flag for Spurs next game is against Dave's best friend, Frank Lampard. So we're going against Everton next, who are actually not in awful. Managerless Everton, as Dave would call them if he was here. They're actually not in awful form on paper. And we know football's not paid on paper, don't we, Elio? But they're actually on, <laughs> if you take away the, the loss against Man United, which I think was a fair result, they're doing okay. I know normally Dave operates as our chief opposition scout, but given that he's away, I'm going to hand that particular role over to you. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a lead-in to help you out. The last five results, results was of course that 2-1 defeat at home to Manchester United they beat Southampton 2-1 away they beat West Ham 1-0 at home they drew with Liverpool at home and they drew with Leeds away so they're actually not doing terribly I mean that's a run of fixtures against teams that are all on relatively bad form themselves Mm. Everton have some decent players they've obviously got their is Calvert-Lewin still he is still injured isn't he I think he's yeah I think he's still out. So, I think they were playing um, Gordon as a striker last time I checked. But they I weren't, yeah. Really so, yeah. I don't think that's too much to cry about. I think they're beating teams they probably should have been beating each time. Um, obviously, the Liverpool result was a very good one, but Liverpool themselves are not having sort they're of... They're not Liverpool, um, are they? Exactly. So I think what I'd say is, I think if we play the way we're meant to play, the way we can play, then 
this will be a victory. We're at home. We're having a good season. We're we're scoring goals. We're not conceding many, and mm. we have better players and a better manager. But beyond the obviously football's not played on paper stuff, I just think I look at. Everton's deficiencies which are sort of the lack of quality first and foremost but also not the most organized side they probably try and play a style of football that they're only really equipped to play against sides that have less quality than them but they'll probably get caught out against sides like us and yeah uh, I can see this being the sort of game we want to have at this point getting into the 10th game of the Mm. season hopefully solidify our place quarter of the way through in the top four and the top three even and really yeah. put pressure on the two teams above us. Yeah, I'm always hesitant to go into a game and saying, yeah, this is a good fixture for us. We should be winning this because we all know what that can do and it always looks mm. bad when it backfires. But this really is the kind of fixture that we want. And I've just been looking at one of my favourite resources, Fantasy Football Scouts, for obvious reasons. And it's given a bit of a breakdown of their availability of their team. And they've actually got a bit of an injury crisis. A lot of it stems from the beginning of the season, admittedly, which probably explains a lot. Obviously, Yerimina has been out for a while. Patterson, who's been playing as a right wing back, who's actually had a really good season, the young right back is out as well. Yeah. He's a decent player, um, isn't he? He's, he's on my bench in my FPL team, which is why I was aware that he's been injured, which is a, obviously a selection headache for me as I try to make a comeback. Uh, but he's a very good player. He's been he's been standing out quite a lot and he's out mm. for them. Um, Gordon's actually banned. I'm not really sure what happened. I've accumulated a lot of yellows. Uh, and then, um, yeah, Carol Lewin is still out. Ben Godfrey is still out. Townsend's obviously been out for a long time. So they are going to have Mope up front, who <laughs> we've just obviously set up to score a hat trick after giving him our usual treat. I didn't but give no, him stick. I said he was a he decent right player last season. I you said did, he was actually. a decent player. You, you were laughing as you said it, but you'd still said it. So I, I guess, yeah, <laughs> we, can, we can say that one's safe and in the clear. But yeah, that should be hopefully uh, ready for a straightforward game. What do you see in the potential lineup for that game? You hinted at it earlier that you think it will probably be the same 11 that started against Bryson, yeah? Well, yeah, I think that's what we'll have against Frankfurt. I think that's what we'll have against Everton. I think, I mean... Maybe an argument to throw a Charleston back in. Yeah, uh, for, for the same game. reason as Basuma was against Bryson, just for the old, exactly. old team factor. Or yeah. if Kulisevsky's available again, then it might be a nice opportunity to put him back in, even if it maybe even means resting Son. I don't think he'll do that, but you never know. We've got games thick and fast at the moment, so we should use the squads. But mm. I think the nice thing is that... Like you said, apart from a few players, it's hard to grumble at any team selection at the moment. So yeah. it's almost like anything that's surprising won't actually be surprising. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't get the sense that Conte is just trying to subvert expectations, whereas I've seen that with our managers in the past, where you feel like they're just trying to be clever. I mean, as much as we love him, Pochettino is guilty of that sometimes, just trying to change things up for the sake of changing things up. And I don't get that impression from Antonio Conte, I'm happy to say. Mm. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Did you watch the highlights of the Everton Man United game by any chance? Have you caught the goals from that? Because it looked a little bit of a shambles at the back to me. Um, I haven't, but I did hear there a yeah. bit of a shambles at the back. Yeah. But... I mean, even their goal <laughs> was, I mean, it was very similar to Thomas Partey's goal against us, to be fair. It was just a bit of a long range, very well struck shot, but it was from Alex Iwobi, who you don't expect to score one of those every week. Mm. And then the two goals that Man United scored were, I think, Anthony and Ronaldo, and they were both counter-attacks with a wide open defence, which we will absolutely love playing against. So mm. if they can bring that same kind of energy to our game, I could see us getting a few goals, to be honest with you. I mean, hopefully, yes. Um, <laughs> hopefully, obviously, one of our issues... Well, quite. Most of our issues recently have been in sort of the final ball. So let's hope it doesn't let us down, I guess. 
Exactly. Well, with that game coming up, we are, as you mentioned earlier, we're sitting in third place. We're mm. four points off top, who are, of course, they who shall not be named. And we're three points behind everyone's favorites for the title, in spite of that, Man City. Um, simple question. Are we in a title race? Um, <laughs> Based on the fact that I think by the end of the season, Manchester City will be yeah. 20 to 25 points clear of whoever is in second. No, yeah. I think we're in a race for seconds. It's hard not to see it that way, isn't it? I must admit, I was thinking about this the other day, and at the moment with us being so close, it's slightly harder to just watch Man City and enjoy them for what they are, because ultimately we're all football fans, first and foremost. I mean, Tottenham I are don't. and always have been and always will be my team. But I think when you get to the point where they're 20 points clear and they're going to win the league anyway and there's no hope, you can sit back and enjoy watching what they do. And it's it's mesmerizing. It's brilliant. It's like watching Barcelona back in Guardiola's days then. Yeah, but um, the big difference is Barcelona, more than half that yeah. size, they're was not owned by the devil as from, well. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends what you think of the people of Catalonia, given that Actually, they... They're not exactly were, covering yeah. themselves in glory with uh, withholding yeah. wages of players. But anyway, yeah, I, we're, we're I think heads. Barcelona were very easy to like because you saw sort of Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol, Vitor Valdez, who are all sort of youth system players, and then players who weren't particular household names like Eric Abidal and um, mm. and, and the likes Pedro. of Yaya Toure yeah. and uh, Pedro from their youth system yeah. as well, even Boj and Kerchich. Yeah. Um, and obviously, yes, before that, they had a bit of a Galactica thing going on with Eto and Ronaldinho. But yeah, that that's what made it more Pet. special, the fact that those exactly. guys were shipped out because they didn't fit the system. So I think that was very different seeing Manchester City having a side that has an average of 50 million per player and 100 million guy that isn't even <laughs> guaranteed to start and yeah. just tried to have the best two players in every position in their squad. I mean, yeah. in Walker and Kinsella, they probably have the two best right backs in the league. So they play one of them at left back. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I know. I just, it's, it's like FIFA, isn't it? It's just... I think it's really, really bad for the Premier League, to tell you the truth. I think it's really dangerous because it's putting us in the territory of yeah, um, Bundesliga, of Bundesliga, PSG. of, oh, I'll go as far as say it's putting us in the territory of being a glorified SPL, uh, the way yeah. Celtic have been over the last mm. decade with Rangers only winning the one title in, in that time. I mean, we're halfway time. there, aren't we? How many have they won? Of the yeah. last, four of the last five, th- is it? Four of the last Not five. Not to mention all the cups. Five of the last and, six. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely take your point, and I'm sure you're not alone in thinking that. There is a part of me that wants to see Erling Haaland score as many goals as humanly possible, though. I say human, although there is a petitioning parliament to have him removed from the Premier League for being a robot. But either way, there is something quite funny about just seeing how many goals he can score and seeing if Dave's going to be right with his claim that he's going to score 100 goals. <laughs> um, I love this tweet that I saw uh, from Mark Watson. You've probably seen it. I think I shared it with you, but you've probably heard it if you're listening. Haaland should go to the World Cup, and every team is allowed to summon him once in the tournament for 30 minutes he arrives by parachute we'll work on the logistics when we have this approved <laughs> yeah but Southgate would just put him at right back <laughs> an extra holding midfielder to shore things up with his height to head it away yeah exactly well we'll cover that when we do our World Cup episodes then shall we a few more points to go through I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on a man that we've mentioned many times before and we will mention again but he's just reached 10 years of service with Tottenham Hotspur it is our captain our goalkeeper Hugo Lloris can you tell us a few words about the great man Elio so Hugo Lloris arrived at the club off the back of well basically my entire Spurs supporting life of watching a variation of 
terrible yeah. to okay adequate with sometimes okay moments goalkeepers yeah. i mean and knackered eric torsford well after his heyday um mm. i was born in 85 so by the time yeah. i was sort of relatively aware rfa cup win had long gone ian mm. walker who used to smile after letting a ball go between his legs um <laughs> neil sullivan who had all the reach of uh tyrannosaurus rex um <laughs> Brad Friedel, who was well, just very old and immobile. Aurelio Gomez, who exactly Aurelio Gomez, who could make a spectacular save and often did, Mm. and was a big reason why we got into the Champions League for the first time. But was also very blundersome and used to feign injuries every time he had a collision with the forwards. Not what you want from your goalkeeper. Neymar in goal. Yep. Well, exactly. So I think. Watching Lloris, the captain of France, arguably the best keeper on the planet at some point, arrive, mm. make the show his own within the first few months and keep it for a decade has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, he's had some rough points. He's had times where we thought, yeah. is he past it now? But no, what keeper hasn't um, Exactly. And I think, yes, there is a mistake in him, but the mistakes are thoroughly Mm. outweighed by the amounts of points he has won us over the years. Uh, I remember when he was younger and quicker and he used to sprint off his line. He was the first, the term sweeper keeper is so popular. He was the first real sweeper keeper I saw in this league. He used to charge off his line with that pace of his and stop attacks Mm. uh, before they even started. It was, it's loud. It's a big reason why Pochettino had such a high defensive line because it had Lloris behind doing all that work. I only remember it going wrong once against Manchester City where I think it was Jesus Navas that uh, who was an exceptionally fast winger at yeah, the time really quick. Uh, yeah. who managed to outdo him but other than that I think mm. Hugo was the best at it if he distribution sell what your job's to stop goals going in and yeah. definitely not as bad as some people make up exactly. and his reflexes yeah. at 35 his reflexes are still oh. exceptional he's won the World Cup and I would go as far to say he is the best candidate in the current Spurs squad, including Harry Kane, despite mm. everything Kane has done for us. And he will be in this bracket as well if he's not already. But Hugo is the most deserving player to be called a club legend. That's a big claim. And I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I must admit, something has started happening in the last probably year or two when I watch Spurs. Every time Hugo makes one of his spectacular saves, my thought process is this. Wow, what a save. That was great what the hell are we going to do when he retires or when he leaves? And I can't enjoy Hugo Lloris like I used to because I'm too fixated on how are we going to replace him? I mean, <laughs> it's probably we, we probably don't need to think about that just yet, but I'm sure the Tottenham hierarchy are doing so. There's rumours of, um, I had rumours of Jan Oblak, which would be quite a coup. And obviously someone else who's probably been considered the best in the world at various points and still only 28. So I don't know if there's much to that, but either way. I mean, yeah, uh, Jan Oblak would fill. be... A very good signing. I'm sure there's other goalkeepers as well. I think mm. there's a young French goalkeeper, AC Milan, isn't there, who won the title last season? Uh, Mike Magnan. Magnan, who, yeah. But yeah. So who knows? I'm, Magic I'm Mike, sure. they call him. The thing is about signing a goalkeeper is that, unlike, I guess, other positions outfield, there are probably actually quite a few good goalkeepers at non-top clubs it's yeah it's about getting someone who fits the system you want to play as a team fits the way you want to defend and who Mm. you can rely on and first and foremost even with the blunders 
Hugo's a goalkeeper we've been able to rely on. If you get that bit right, then everything else after that falls into place. So the next mm. goalkeeper probably will not be as good as Hugo Lloris because I don't actually think there are more than yeah. five or six goalkeepers in the world who are good as the current incarnation of Hugo Lloris, never mind mm. Hugo at his best. And I think that's why the yeah. club have done so brilliantly to keep him for the entire peak of his career. I asked you the question over a couple of pints of Guinness on Saturday, and I'll ask you again to see if you've given it any more thought, but is he top five of the Premier League era for you? It's such a hard one to, to yeah, say. a lot of candidates when you start thinking it, about it, it It'd there? make it so easy for me to get pelters yeah. for agreeing with that statement. But you know what? Mm. Especially when you look at the longevity as well and yeah. how long he's been at the top of his game for, I think there's definitely an argument for that. Yeah. I think there's so many goalkeepers you can put in that. So then where my mind goes to is how many goalkeepers have there been that you could outright say mm. are better than Lloris has yeah. been. And I think I'd say Peter Schmeichel. Yeah. I think there's an argument for Peter Cech as well. Um, yeah. We even there, him, even we? there, I'm a little bit iffy, but mm. there's a good argument there. I think a we're lot talking of consistency probably... over time as well. You know, you can exactly. talk about someone like David De Gea, who at points has been world-class, arguably best in the world, but he's not been that level consistently enough for prolonged periods of time to really be in that conversation for me. Absolutely, and I agree with that completely. I think mm. uh, even with someone like Czech, you think was he yeah. since his injury, he wasn't quite he, as spectacular, was he? Obviously, that's long not his before fault. Hugo Lloris's age, long before Hugo Lloris's current age, he was nowhere near as good as Hugo is now. So I think mm. Hugo yeah. deserves to be considered in that bracket, right? Yeah. Even if it isn't accurate, he's in the conversation anyway, and pretty impressive Easily. achievement nonetheless to be there for 10 years as our captain which is brilliant and he is our captain in case anyone still thinks it's Harry Kane that annoys me people don't really realize really that Hugo Lloris is our captain but people anyway, say that Paul on. Pogba captain France to the World Cup I mean what the hell's that about no they don't I've never they seen that now I'm really heard, angry I've heard that so many times oh. I've heard that so many times to be fair I think it's just the idea that a goalkeeper being captain doesn't sit right with certain people I used to be one of those people I always thought it was a bit strange I, I like someone to be kind of in the middle of the pitch to be able to because growing up in my mind the job of a captain was just to shout at people and if you're in the middle of the pitch you can shout at everyone but I think Hugo actually manages to shout at the entire pitch from his goal line well, or yeah. as you mentioned you, you, 30 yards out from his goal line where he sprinted out to clear the ball so yeah you saw him you shouting at human son and all of nothing oh, we didn't did. you so absolutely absolutely did we'll probably come back to talk about this because it's only a very fledgling story and I know very little about its veracity and whether it's actually going to happen but talk of Google coming in to buy our stadium <laughs> or to name our stadium to be more precise in a one billion pound deal which uh, sounds very exciting i'm sure it'll get people talking about us signing harland and mbappe in no time and not understanding exactly quite how football finances work but mm-hmm. uh, have you looked into this at all have you given it much of your time or attention do you think it's likely um, to happen and what could it mean i don't think i don't think ornstein much i don't think david ornstein is a particularly well connected journalist and especially not on spurs mm. i don't think he'd yeah report make something quite as bold as that i don't think he would i also yeah. know that a good sort of 18 months ago there were sightings in google's offices of a little model of a stadium called the google stadium <laughs> so there's been rumors the for a while stadium. that 
Exactly. So there's been rumours for a while that they were looking to do that with a club and we're a very obvious candidate with our profile, with where in the world our club is, with, let's face it, a fairly well-connected bunch of people upstairs as well. So I think it makes sense. I think it would be nice to see. We we do need every bit of revenue stream we can get, given that we're not a, a state-owned club yep. like Manchester City and Newcastle are. So, so fingers crossed yeah. there's truth to it. Uh, it would be good fun. Um, mm. I've already seen some of the usual anti-Nick brigades saying things along the lines of I don't care about finances I care about what happens on the pitch it's like don't you understand that if we've got (laughs) watch Man City and tell me that Exactly. I mean, don't you think that maybe what happens on the pitch might be a little bit better if we've got that kind of revenue Mm. coming in? I mean, the tweets I keep seeing are along the lines of we're going to get a billion pounds and Levy's going to say there's no money to spend on transfers and we're going to buy Anthony Gordon and someone I have to Google. Uh, (laughs) I genuinely think Um, that if we get get sponsored by Google, well, exactly. When, if we do get sponsored by Google on our stadium, then when they announce it, Danny Rose should be the one doing the announcement. It should be a little gif of him Googling I would respect Spurs. him a tiny bit more if he agreed to do that. If he poked fun himself, <laughs> which I can't imagine him ever doing for the record. Um, but no, that would be fun. Let's see Let's see what happens. Obviously, it's very early days, so let's not speculate too mm. much. Would our sponsor change? Would they sponsor us? And would it be a red sponsor? Google or, or Multicolor, aren't they? They wouldn't be... Sh- I don't think it would be shirt be sponsors. Shirt sponsor. I think, ah, I think AIA's deal with us is for quite a while to come, as far as I'm aware. Oh, well. Well, at least it's not Coca-Cola on the shirts and we don't have to suffer too many more bottle job jokes. So uh, anyway, let's Mm. see what happens there. In other important news, uh, Lebby King is apparently coming to FIFA as a hero card. What are your thoughts on this, Elio? Will you have given up FIFA by the time he comes out in a rage? I predict so. I, I, yeah. I think or, or will, um, you, will you rage quit in protest at the stats they give him that will inevitably not be good enough for the great man himself I mean they won't be but I think I'm very fast learning this season that this is the game that's probably going to kill it off for me I say this every season obviously <laughs> but this season I, I think yeah. I mean it I mean, I think we've said this about Spurs before, haven't we, to be honest, knowing full well that we're lying to ourselves. But who knows? Mm. Who knows? Let's let's see. In other news, uh, I'm famous on Twitter. I've, I've gone viral. I don't know if you've seen this, Elio. I, I know you've seen the tweet that I posted. It's not one of my most insightful or intelligent tweets, I must admit. As is often the way with Twitter, mm. it's, it's a pretty, pretty low-hanging fruit. But I just posted a meme, <laughs> basically, of... You, you've probably seen it, the, the Peter Parker meme, where he picks up his glasses and then puts them on to see clearly. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's, tre- it's, it's Delhi alley and then trent alexander arnold in similar looking poses basically my point Mm. is uh are we seeing a a sudden unexplained decline of a young english prodigal talent in uh in trent alexander arnold and it's it's taken off quite well um elio can you have a guess at how many likes my post has got i'm gonna say 1100 no not quite but it's getting there it's 952 so far which i think the most i've ever had is about 100 What's I was going to say 950 initially, and yeah. I thought actually, given that you was thought, I'm about asking because it, <laughs> you yeah. thought I was asking so I could announce a 1000. No, but it, it's exactly. looking like it's going that way. So yeah, very very strange. Of all the things I tweeted, I did not expect this one to take off, but that's just the way Twitter works. But anyway, we'll we'll leave that particular discussion for another time. Maybe we'll check in next week to see uh, how many more more people are on there. The sad thing is that not <laughs> one of those 952 people has chosen to follow me off the back of that, <laughs> which is very depressing. <laughs> to be honest with you but i did shamelessly jump on with the plus dave account to tell people to follow us just to try and cash in 
on our temporary mm. five minutes of fame there. But while we're on that, actually, please do follow us now that you're listening. And um, you can feel sorry for me for not getting any followers from my greatest ever tweet. Uh, you can follow me at plus Dave Dags. You can follow Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. And you can follow the podcast at plus Dave Podcast. And if you're still not satisfied, you can even go and follow Dave at Fantasy Dave. And uh, hopefully between us, we will we'll be able to entertain you with our strange assortment of angry rants, insightful analysis, and memes on Twitter. Um, <laughs> right. I've got one little final thing I wanted to throw out, which um, okay. basically in place of Challenge Elio. I feel like I didn't want to leave everyone completely empty-handed. Before I get on to that, Elio, just in terms of the matches we've discussed and, and everything Spurs-related, is there anything else you wanted to kind of tag on to the end? Any other final thoughts on how things are, where things stand, or just the games in general? I think our supporters have to be a little bit more patient than they are being at the moment. We're, we're third in the league. Yes, we haven't played champagne football. We've probably played slightly worse football than the second half of last season, but we're doing well in both competitions we're in. We're scoring goals. We're creating chances and we can go into most games quite confident at the moment. So I just feel like the manager and what he's doing and the players as well deserve a little bit more I guess support and patience than they seem to be getting for this worth in the stadium yeah. they do seem to be getting it and that's where it counts really but generally mm. I think I'm seeing a lot of Spurs fans bemoaning a lot of what we're doing at the moment so I don't necessarily understand why I mean if you look at kind of all the metrics around the season at the moment we're not performing poorly in anything and I'm, I'm not a huge stats man yeah but anyway, you know, our field but... tilt is unacceptable you have to admit <laughs> well absolutely um yeah. I, I still don't know what that is but i'll go with you on that but we're we're, we're shooting in the top five in the league we've got sort of good stats for the amount we're passing I think only four teams pass more than us I think in terms of chance creation we're near the top as well I think just because Mm. we're not sort of controlling the possession game constantly it doesn't mean we're not playing good football I can't remember seeing us hoofing the ball up to the strikers to knock down particularly often or anything like that we are playing good football on the ground we are controlling games in our own way and controlling games doesn't just mean having the ball way up the pitch all the time it means actually making sure the play unfolds the way you intend it to and the fitter the players get the more the season goes in the better they're going to look so so just have a bit of faith that's the thing with those stats as well and i I know that you're the last person i need to convince of the the hit and miss nature of stats and the whole Mm. lies damn lies and statistics thing but you can look at some of those but ultimately there are some stats that matter more than others aren't there and i think i saw something like we were 19th for progressive passes into the final third or something which people were panicking about but then we're third for for goals and we're third for league position so who cares but anyway i mean uh, i think what two clubs have outscored us manchester city and arsenal mm. Where yeah. that so that says it all. I mean, in terms of shots, I think the only other two clubs that have had more shots than us are Newcastle and Liverpool. I think yeah. we've hit the woodwork the third most times in the league behind Liverpool and Newcastle. Um yeah. we've scored the fourth most goals from inside the box. You get the ball into the box yeah. by playing good football. Um, it's working for so, Erling Haaland. Well, yeah, exactly. He touches the ball three times a game and uh, will get at least two goals. So exactly. I think I think people just we are need the Erling to, Haaland of football teams. People need to accept that there's more than one way to skin a cat, and 
We've tried it. Who mentioned Kurt Zimmer? Long- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really hope that gets edited out. But um, <laughs> I'll decide later. But we've just got we've got a lot to be happy about, and yeah. and I think the amount of criticism our side is getting from our own fans is really unwarranted. Absolutely. I, as always, Elio, I am inclined to agree with you. I wouldn't dare disagree with any of that. That's uh, all very fair points. Right. Let, let's finish off with this little feature. I just want to throw this out there. And Elio, I want your input on this as well. And I know you're a huge fan of spontaneous 11s that I like to throw out. Uh, I've put one together here just for a bit of fun. And I want to see if I've missed anyone and see if you can help. I've called this one Plus Dave Rent Free FC. Which is a team that I've put together while I was sitting there in the gym thinking of something to throw on the end of our podcast of players that we give way too much airtime to and talk about way more than we probably should across the history of this podcast. So the team I've put together and tell me if you think there's anyone else who needs to be in there. And I've got someone I will mention as well. Our goalkeeper, a man mm. we talked about a lot in this episode, is not our goalkeeper for this one because I think the talk about him is warranted and probably the right amount. I've put in one Nuno Espirito Santo, who was <laughs> a very successful goalkeeper in his day. Um, right back, and one of only two current players in this team, to give you a bit of a hint, is Emerson because he comes up every episode. Although, actually, ironically, I don't think we talked about him today, probably for the first time because he didn't actually play. So I've put Emerson in there because we can't help as a Spurs fan base, but also on our podcast talking about him. The left back Mm. we have mentioned today is a man that you don't have to Google, sadly, and that is Danny Rose, who we talk about (laughs) way more than he deserves. The centre-back pairing I've gone for is one of Dave's favourite players, Ramon Vega, who, for some reason, keeps on rearing his head on this show. And... (laughs) Perhaps, I dare say, a slightly more capable centre-back partner in Ledley King, who, mm. much like the Spurs chants from the stands, gets a lot of uh, airtime and is, is mm. always in our hearts and minds. We have a midfield three here. It's a 4-3-3 mm. uh, with a base of Harry Winks, who, despite having barely played for us since we started doing this podcast, has found his way out of your lips on more than one occasion and not normally in the most favourable terms. Poor, yeah. uh, poor, poor Harry, uh, Spurs boy, may he be. Uh, and alongside him, in in the heart of the midfield, do you want to have a guess who is pairing Winksy? There's a lot of candidates must, here. It must be Sean Longstaff. <laughs> it's of course Sean Longstaff, <laughs> who has been mentioned on this podcast so many times, and I have no idea why. But Sean Longstaff is, of course, sitting in our midfield, um, just narrowly edging out the likes of Delhi, Musa Dembele, and Ndombele, who have all had their fair share of mentions, and sitting in front of them as our kind of spearhead of our attacking midfield. Our number ten is, of course, Dave's buddy Frank Lampard, who <laughs> is always going to be in this team um, on the left wing, um, and this one. I, was, I wasn't sure if there was someone I've missed out and there's obviously the honourable mention of Ginola but I put in Son Hyun Min because last season in particular we could not stop talking about him and we were probably a little bit harsh to him in hindsight as well on the right of our front three is Joe's buddy and answer to every single who am I and challenge Elio question Darren Anderton and spearheading the attack at the front is not a Spurs player it's a man who I've mentioned today who we've mentioned pretty much every week since this season started and before a man that Dave has been keeping a close eye on since he was pretty much born Erling Haaland it gets a lot of talk on this show have we missed anyone I'll, I'll tell you what let me run through some honorable mentions just just in case I've put down Benoit Sokoto Jan Vertonghen mm. Mikel Arteta because yeah we <laughs> talk about him a fair amount uh, I already mentioned Deli and Dombele and Dembele uh, Israel's finest the rocket Ronnie Rosenthal and of course, Ooh. David Ginola. 
I feel like it's, it's think, a toss-up between Haaland and Rosenthal, which will, will have a distinct bearing on how well this team plays. <laughs> I think <laughs> if the theme is living rent-free in our heads, yeah, then someone like Rosenthal, who hasn't kicked a ball since 1997 <laughs> or something, yeah. may well have to spearhead the attack because there's a very yeah. good reason why Haaland. Everyone's talking about Haaland. About exactly, it's not just who us. doesn't? So that's not living yeah. rent-free. Okay, I'm happy with that. Rent it with interest, in okay. fact. So I think... I'm um, happy with that. Rosenthal yeah, goes in, Haaland's on the bench. Go in. Um, <laughs> imagine, imagine someone starting Rosenthal over Haaland. Have we talked about Winks more than Ndombele? I mean, well, maybe Winks has necessarily, up. Yeah, it's not so much Wink- who we've talked about more. It's more who's been talked about an unbalanced amount given their relevance to Spurs or the masses I mean, of the day. Both are relatively irrelevant Spurs and Matters of the Day uh, <laughs> since we've been doing this podcast. Uh, did they even have 10 appearances between them last season? But I think Winks has maybe come up a few more times, but the amount of airtime Ndombele gets when he does come up <laughs> might You, you resent how much there. we've been forced to talk about him, don't you? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think the only people whose lips have his name on it more than us is the owners of McDonald's. So I I think... (laughs) I knew that was going down that road. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess uh, the beauty there is that their McDonald's is constantly on his lips. So... (laughs) Of course, there it is. Well, the real question, Elio, is how well would this team do in the Premier League? Until we put Rosenthal in from Haaland, I was I had high hopes for this team, to be honest with you. I thought it could do quite I mean, well. I'll read it through again. So I, I have no idea how good a goalkeeper Nuno was, but I'm pretty sure he played in like the Champions League. I he think he was a serial substitute. I think he was oh, like... Was he? No. Well, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah not he was a, a substitute. Not a great start. It's not a great start. And there's an argument to say Loris should go in for him in terms of how much we've talked about him. But let's say Nuno. Um, back four of Emerson, Vega, King and Rose... Longstaff, Winks, Slash, and Dombele, and Lampard. It's not a terrible midfield. Uh, and then a front three of Anderson, Son, and Ronnie, and Rocket Rosenthal. <laughs> if, well, assuming we've got, we've got you know, a comparable bench, how's that team finishing in the Premier League? Hugh and Son is a player that will thrive in a side that creates chances, and I'm not sure where this side will create any chances. You might say Anderson Lampard could, was, but... Lampard could mm, play him in. Lampard, once again, was a player that did a lot of his best work, much like Delhi, but at a higher level and for his entire career, not just for three seasons. Lampard yeah. was a player who did so much of his best work when other players on the team had the ball. Um, I think that's probably true of... Lampard and Son in that team and the problem is with Winks and Longstaff in your midfield you're never going to have the ball so or Ndombele and Longstaff so (laughs) I really don't see that team getting anything but trounced weekly by (laughs) all um, opposition how would Anderson do in a modern front three as more of a inverted forward he'd do well for the 17-18 games a season he'd play (laughs) That's the other thing. There's some real injury worries with this team. With Ledley King and Darren Anderson in there, it's definitely going to need some rotation. We might have to bring on exactly. some of those honourable mentions. Harlan might actually have to exactly. get a game. I mean... <laughs> might make a fourth ball too. Ledley King and Darren Anderson getting injured a lot. Ram and Vega with a blunder a game. Um, like I'll tell you what, we could make it a 4 4 We could make it a 4 4 We could take out Harry Winks and have Longstaff and Lampard in midfield. And then have Anderson and Son as more traditional right midfield and left midfielders and then have Ronnie Rosenthal and Erling Haaland up front. Does that change things? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just picturing Haaland's face when he sees Rosenthal sky an open goal from six yards <laughs> instead of squaring Haaland, to him. Haaland would score a bucket load from Darren Anderson crosses. He would. 
but we we'd concede twice as many as we score. <laughs> oh, well, it's fun. We'll see. Maybe we should make that on Football Manager. Maybe we should run another simulation. I know I say this every time we do one of these, but I would be really genuinely interested to see how it goes. <laughs> I'd have to find somewhere with Ron Rosenthal's accurate Football Manager stats, though. But if I don't, I'll ask you to fill them in for me, shall I, Elio? <laughs> we'll see. Well, Watch this space. Yeah. All that to come. Fantastic. Well, look, we've already managed to do an hour without Challenge Elio, so we're going to wrap this up now. But thanks, Elio, for joining me. Thanks for your thoughts, as always. Let's hope that next week is another relatively upbeat one and we've gone and demolished Everton because no one will like that more than Dave. He would thoroughly enjoy seeing us put another five goals past him as we did last season. And of course, we'll then be looking forward to the Manchester United game, which I believe is our following fixture in the Premier League, which could be quite a tasty one by then because they are actually finding some form under mm. Eric 10 weeks, as Dave christened him. So uh, <laughs> let's let's see how that goes. Certainly looks as if he's going to be there longer than 10 weeks and we are going to have to take them seriously. So uh, we look forward to welcoming as many of you back as possible. Follow us on Twitter, as I said. Go and like my post. Try and get it over the 1,000 marks of I can be an official Twitter celebrity. But until then, stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next week. Just